Good morning. My name is Michael, one of the pastors here at the church. We're very excited to have you with us on this Sunday morning. How many of you went to the sanctuary last week? How many of you are in there? Good. How many of you didn't come because you knew that we wouldn't be in here? Exactly. Uh, I'm proud of you who grew a little bit and tried something different. Um, And it was different. There was a guest organist um, in there uh, because our normal organist and uh, our music, pretty much everybody was in here (coughs) except you. Um, And and, uh, for the for the conference that we had last week and uh, and the sermon was a giant David Manitsky head um, on the video. Um, for those of you that saw that. And so it was definitely a step out of the box. And, um, and so I'm very grateful. David had to go do a, a baptism at 930. And he came back in here and he goes, I think there's a lot of New Heights people in there. I was like, how come? He goes, because there's a lot of people that, um, that have dressed down this Sunday. I'm like, yeah, no, I saw that as a good thing. I was like, oh, yeah, we're in there, Dave. We're taking it down. Um, no, but. Um, yeah, so it was great, and but it's good to be back here um, and uh, and uh, worshiping. And I just want to say thank you. Um, how many of you are on the city, by the way? Okay, if you're not, get on it. Um, talk to Daryl afterwards. The city is the thing online um, that gives you all information uh, about what's going on. So if you came here expecting New Heights to be in this room last Sunday, then you're not on the city. Because we made that quite evidently clear um, that we were not going to be in here because of that, uh, the Faith Walking Conference. Um, and also, I did send out a thank you on Monday. And I just want to reiterate that because uh, apparently not many of you are on the city and got it. Um, but thank you um, for giving up our worship space. And it was um, told to me several times by different people, um, David Manisky being one, Ruth Ann uh, Lynn, the choir director, being another. Many people came up to me during the course of the conference and said, hey, Thanks uh, for giving up your worship space uh, so that we could do this conference in here. And uh, so I just want to say thank you, um, not that y'all, not that we voted on it, but um, thank you uh, for allowing us to do that. So we're uh, wrapping up our, uh, our study on, um, on Joseph in the book of Genesis, and we, we finish with that. And then next week, just to let you know what we're, what we're moving into, um, since Genesis really ends with um, uh, Joseph going, Hey, and by the way, one day God's going to bring us out of here. Um, we decided, well, let's see what that's like. Um, so we're going to Exodus uh, next. And somebody asked me, because they said, where are we going next? Exodus. No, we're not just going to go to Leviticus. And we're not doing that. Um, this is just, we're just doing a study of Joseph. And um, starting next week, we'll begin a study of the book of Exodus, which is some really cool stuff in there as well. But today we're um, we're finishing with Joseph, this um, amazingly complex, um, faithful man who uh, went through some stuff that like no one should go through half of what he dealt with. Um, and yet he came out um, kind of on top. Um, and it's because of how he started this a few weeks ago, because he knew who he was. He knew where his identity rested. And it wasn't in the world, it was in God. So, Genesis 50, that's where we are, uh, 15. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became afraid. Now Joseph will pay us back for all the evil we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, forgive your brothers for the great evil they did to you. 
So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive us. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and bowed low before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph told them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position I have today so so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. Indeed, I myself will take care of you and your families. And he spoke very kindly to them, reassuring them. So here is the end of Genesis. Soon after this, Joseph dies at 110. The brothers, if you remember, let's recap previously in Joseph's life. Um, if you remember, Joseph is born much later in the life of all of his brothers, with the exception of Benjamin, who was born eight years later. Um, Reuben, being the oldest, was like an old man by the time um, Joseph comes around. Now, Joseph comes around, and as we talked about the very first day, the, the word that it says, um, it says he looks like his father, but the, the Hebrew word there could also be one who acquires wisdom. So they had the same spiritual countenance as his father, Jacob. And because of that, Jacob spent a ton of time teaching him, teaching him about God, instilling him in him this identity that the kingdom of God, this, he was a son of God, an heir to the kingdom of heaven. And so he has this identity built inside of him. And he goes, okay, so you have 10 older brothers. The 10 older brothers get a little jealous of him because the entire life of Joseph, he's told, you're awesome. Y'all go do the work. I need to teach my son, my son, Joe. I don't know if that's what he called him, but, and, and they, they, they hear this over and over again. And then eventually, you know, Joseph has these dreams. He's like, Hey, guess what? I dreamed last night. You're going to bow down to me. Isn't that so funny? Um, and they get a little upset, right? And they throw him in the pit. They're going to kill him. And, uh, then they see a, a, a chance to just get rid of him without killing him. And they sell him into slavery. He's sent to Egypt. And what does he do? Saves the world. Think about that. What happens in the world? A famine. If you remember the story that Joseph is eventually thrown into prison, he's there with a couple of guys who are having these, um, these dreams. He interprets them correctly for them because God gives him wisdom and discernment to do so. Word gets to the Pharaoh. Hey, there's this dude in prison who's pretty smart about things, about dreams especially. Pharaoh's been having these dreams. Pharaoh goes, hey... I've been having these dreams. Here's what they are. Joseph's like, hey, man, we're going to have seven years, and it's going to rock. And then things are going to stop, and there's going to be great famine, so we need to prepare for this. Then the people of Israel come because there's no food, but Egypt has food. This is how the gospel message gets spread. God moves into places and situations that you don't expect him to. And the message of love goes out. So Joseph, in essence, because he was sold into slavery, saves the world. God saves the world through Joseph in this place. Now, the people of Israel are there. Jacob dies. They take him back to Israel to bury him. And they come back. And this is when the brothers start flipping out. Now that dad's gone, because, you know, Joseph loved dad and he wasn't going to do anything that dad wouldn't say. But now dad's gone. We're in trouble. Now, we've been talking about Joseph this entire time, and I want to talk about him for just a moment, but I, then I want to see, look at the brothers. 
Now, Joseph, one of the things he says there is, am I God? Am I God that I should punish you? It's a very Jewish way of saying that. Am I God that I should punish you? Um, so he, he goes and, he, and he's, he's right. Because he understands that no matter what he's been to and no matter what position that he has achieved, it is not because of him. It is because of God. It wasn't because of Joseph's strength that he was able to get out of the pit. It wasn't because of Joseph's strength that he was able to fend off Pontifer's wife. It wasn't because of Joseph's strength that he was able to be in prison and rise to this elevation that he ran the prison. It wasn't because of Joseph's strength that he was able to interpret these dreams correctly and save the world. It was because of the one who dwelled inside of him. It's because of God. And Joseph knew that. How many of us, when we achieve something, think that we had anything to do with it? How many of us, when, when, when we do something great and, and beyond ourselves, think, dude, I'm awesome. Jen and I were at this restaurant. This has nothing to do with anything. Restaurant last night, and the waitress there, every time she left us, she goes, okay, awesome, and would walk off. Um, she wasn't very awesome, by the way. She's very slow. But... Uh, in her service. Uh, she, and, and so that uh, has nothing to do with anything. But, and we're back. Welcome to my mind, by the way. This happens all the time. Just every sermon. I have like 17 stories going on. So, so Joseph understands that it is not because of him, but it is because of the strength and the power and the giftings that God has placed upon him. But we live in a world that tells us, you, you. We live in an individualistic society that tells us, look out for yourself. Get what you can. Get yours. Right? Don't we live in this kind of take-all society in which we prepare our own families against the rest of the world? It's us against them. Us against them. And the us that we talk about usually is maybe our family, but mostly it's me against them and there's all kinds of self-help books and and tapes and whatever those are and cds and, and podcasts and things that tell you how you can become the best you and achieve the greatest thing for you but what it leaves out is him he's not him i am nothing without him Nothing without him. If I don't understand that, nothing I achieve in this world is going to matter. No success that I have, if I think that it's all because of me, is going to last. Joseph, when his brothers come to him, is in this elevated position as the viceroy. What a great title that is, of Egypt. And they come to him, they throw themselves down, we're your slaves. And Joseph has this moment of just pure passion, pure passion on them. He's like, man, you're my brothers. Am I God? Is that what you think I think of me? Is that what you think those dreams meant so many years ago? That you thought, I thought I was better than you. And maybe at the time, at the age of 16, Joseph did think that. But 
you see this great maturity in his life where eventually he comes to the point where, am I God? No. Get up. You don't have to fear me. I love you. You're my brothers. I will take care of you. The word that they use here, um, it says you and your family. The, the Hebrew word there is um, it's escaping me, but it essentially means not just your family. It, it's just this, this big overarching word that is like outliers. It's, it's like the women, the children, the sick, the lame, the everyone. No one is outside of my care. See, there's this big Jesus connection going on here if you don't see it. No one is outside of the care of Christ. But how many times do we fall into this position of thinking that we are indeed God? That we have control over things. And somebody comes to us asking for forgiveness and we say, no. I'm going to stay angry with you. In fact, I may even be looking for revenge. Putting yourself in the place of God, huh? Are we God that we should withhold something that is not ours to hold? So that's Joseph. The brothers. Now, the brothers, um, granted, they started the story of Joseph not in the best light, right? Um, but, but think about it. You have your, your father telling you the entire time that this kid's alive. Can you look at your brother, Joseph? Would you look at him? Look how great he is. Oh man. Look, Joseph, say, say the alphabet in Hebrew again. I mean, they spoke that, but you know, Oh, did you, did you see, did you hear that Reuben? Your brother, you should be more like your brother, Joseph, you know, just over and over and over again. Could you look how pretty it is? Hey, watch this. Joseph, here's a new coat for you. You know, and this, in that coat, remember we talked about this. It was like a honor authority. It was something big. And the, and the brothers would have gone, Whoa, especially Reuben, the eldest, and be like, Dude, you're, no, you're way too young for that. I'm the first. This is how this works. But all along, Jacob keeps insisting, Joseph, this, Joseph, that. Anybody have a sibling like that? Be it, don't be afraid. Raise your hand. You have a sibling. Or is anyone that sibling? <laughs> Somebody's emphatic going, I am that sibling. I am Joseph. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's sometimes that family dynamic that goes on where there's a favorite and you can kind of tell that there's. A favorite. Think about the brother's perspective. It wasn't just their anger towards Joseph that was building in them. It was a sense of, huh, maybe we're not worth that much. I'm not as smart as Joseph. I'm not as pretty as Joseph. I'm not as good as Joseph. Year after year after year after year being told that he is so much better by your dad. What does that do to you? No matter how old you are, what does that do to you? See, Joseph had already forgiven his brothers, if you remember. Chapter 45, they come, everything's kind of cool. They're living together. And then they go and Jacob dies and they all start freaking out again. They have this sense of worthlessness inside of them. They have this, they have this sense of, I'm not, we're not worthy because we've, this is all we've ever known. Is to be told that he's better. 
Anybody ever experienced that kind of sense? That maybe you're just not good enough? Worthless? Maybe that's too strong, maybe not. This weekend at the at the retreat, one of the conference, whatever it was, one of the things that we were doing was um, we were looking back over events in our lives and how they shaped us and how they how do they create us into who we are now. And one of the things that God really revealed to me was very astounding. Um, growing up, I have an older brother and an older sister. And yes, I am better looking than they are. Um, that was way too much. Of, what was that? Who was that? Does it feel like it? No? Somebody back here? Um, Daryl? Yeah, thanks, Daryl. Uh, so, yeah, and growing up, they would always, they're significantly older. Um, not like Joseph, mind you, but um, I was a surprise, um, a blessing, if you will, to my family. Uh, and, of course, they always said I was a mistake. Uh, I was... That made me feel good. Just kidding. Um, so, they, uh, so one of the things that I always heard when we would get in fights or, or, or scrums or, or whatever it was is my father would always say to the three of us kids, you two are older, you should know better. Always. I, I mean, I just, as soon as this, like, God unlocks this thing in my head, I'm like, Phew. You two are older, you should know better. You two are older, you should know better. You two are older, you should know better. We fought a lot. You two should, you're older, you should know better. All the time. What I came to realize was what that implied to me. You're younger, you shouldn't know any better. Now at the time, it made me an escape artist, right? I'm younger. I don't know any better. But I looked back over my life and and I see this pattern set up by an unintentional consequence of something my father said. I see getting through high school without trying. I see going on to college and getting through college without really trying. I see going on to seminary and getting through seminary without really trying. I wasn't a straight A student. Mind you, and you don't need to see my, my uh, what are they called, transcripts. All you need to know is I got out, okay? I did enough to get by. I did enough to just check the box. And what God was slowly to revealing, really revealing to me this weekend is, I'm young. I don't know any better. So why put that much effort in? And I begin to see this shape of the way I live my life, not just in school, but then I looked at my ministry and went, oh. And then I looked at my relationship with my wife and my kids and I went, whoa. Do I put just enough in to check the box, but then stop? And I had to repent for that. And I changed things at home and I shared and opened up with Jenna and she was just like, what's happening? You know, Because I never do that. She hears about me on Sunday mornings like the rest of you. And I went, that's wrong. She's my bride, my best friend. Why don't I do more for her than I do for you ugly people? And I have this realization. 
And it really made me look at the brothers with kind of the sadness. How much had their whole action right here at the very end of Genesis been shaped by everything beyond? And we want to look at the brothers and go, man, I can't believe them. I can't believe they would act that way. Even after all these things, they're still acting that way. Really? Really? And so I ask you, have you ever been a brother? Have you ever had a moment where, where your identity has been shaped by something other than what Joseph's was shaped by? Man, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if, if all of our lives and experiences were poured into like, like Joseph's was from Jacob? Man, you are awesome. I love you. God loves you. He created you. He has great things for you. You are worthy. Wouldn't it be great if we all walked around like that? Man, I am something because I am his. I may not achieve anything in this world, but that doesn't matter because I am an heir to the kingdom of heaven. Word. What if we all had that kind of reaction? How would we begin to treat one another if we saw each other as heirs to the kingdom of heaven instead of just someone to step on or to push aside? How would, we, how would we interact with one another if we began to see each other as a brother or sister in a family of God? Yeah, that, that person may have achieved worldly success, and that's great and wonderful. But you know what? You're just like me, man. A fallen sinner redeemed by the grace of God. Have you ever had a moment where you've been like a brother? Have you ever felt unworthy of something? If you ever had an experience in your life, in your childhood, and this is getting, it's getting deep up in here, right? That maybe shaped you into who you are today, but not necessarily who God longs for you to be. See, I look back at my experiences throughout life, and a lot of times people are like, well, would you do anything different? And my gut reaction is No. Because, man, it's made me who I am today, and God's just opening stuff up because of that. But then I start thinking about it and go, huh, maybe he wanted something different for me, though. Maybe he wanted his glory to come in a different, more powerful way. And so what I look at myself is, what am I limiting God? How am I limiting God? By limiting myself. So here's the thing. The worship team's coming up right now. And I went down, and they're going to go back up. <laughs> and uh, while they're walking up here, what I want you to do is just to bow your heads, just to, to let your mind just go. And I know this is making sense. Just bow, bow your head. Stop looking at me, people. Bow your heads. Man, you don't take direction very well. Just, just let your mind go. And I know this is weirding some of you out. And guess what? This weekend weirded me out, too. But it took me somewhere awesome. I just want you to think, is there, is there some event in your life that has shaped you into who you are, but you think necessarily it's not necessarily who God longs for you to be? Is there something that you need to let go of? Some word that was spoken over you at an early age? Some act that happened to you that defined who you are in the world's eyes? 
but not who you are in God's. For those of you in that short time period where something came forward, let it go. Let it go. Don't let it define who you are. Let God's love define who you are. Because His love is greater than anything we could know. His love is so great that He was willing to take human form to live here among us. To experience what we experience. To suffer so greatly. So painfully. I can't imagine. And guess what? He did it for you. He did it so that you wouldn't have to live a life as a captive. He did it so that you could experience life. Not life in the terms of the world, but abundant life. Life in the name of Jesus. Jen and I went to a fundraiser, fundraising dinner um, on our lunch on Friday. and um, We got to hear this Dr. Crandall. He's a noted, world-renowned, I think, cardiologist. Um, and he told these stories that were just amazing. And, and he's began, begun, he started... Um, to pray for all of his patients. It started decades ago. Um, but the things that, have, that God has done through this man, through his knowledge of medicine, but through his knowledge of the Spirit, are amazing. This guy has uh, gotten more chutzpah huh, than, than most people in this world. He's not afraid to walk up to the most secular of secular peoples and say, can I pray for you? Because I feel like you need it. Not saying that he doesn't. He told a story of releasing this woman. She was 99 years old. And she came to see him as a cardiology patient, heart patient, and, and was sitting there for 99 years. She'd just been locked down by something. And he asked if he could pray for her. And he talked to her about Jesus. She said, sure, you can pray for me. And every time he said the word Jesus, her mouth would clench. If, I'm, if I get this wrong, Ashley, speak up. Her mouth would just clench. And she had this, this uh, nurse with her. He said, a Baptist nurse in the room with her. And he goes, what, what's this all about? She said, I don't know. Every time I speak... The name of Jesus over her. She just gets tense. Her mouth clenches. He goes, all right. Puts his hand on her head. And he says something to the effect of whatever has a hold of you, I cast out in the name of Jesus. He is more powerful than it. Whatever Satan is trying to do, and some of you are so freaked out right now, that's okay. Go with it. Whatever Satan is trying to do right now, I cast out in the name of Jesus. It is gone. This 99-year-old woman starts to cry. 
She says, Dr. Crandall, I can pray that prayer now. 99 years old, whatever happened, had locked her down and held her captive. She was Joseph still in the pit. But Jesus set her free. So whoever is going through something, if you are, and it may just be me and the sermon was for me and thanks for being my therapy unit again. If you need prayer, the prayer people go on either side of the stage. In this last song, and this song's an upper, I think. Are y'all still doing that song? This is still, this is going to go. That's okay, though. Um, if you need prayer, just go. Come on, Magda, Ashley, get up. Why are y'all just sitting down there, Jenna? If you need prayer, if you need to come over there and you need to just bring something to the cross and say, I can't deal with this anymore. My teeth are clenched. I need somebody to pray over me. Do it. If you're embarrassed that you're walking up and people are like, hey, look, there goes Derek Spielhagen. I knew he needed prayer. Sorry, Derek. <laughs> but but you, I'm just kidding. Uh, who cares? If something's locking you down and, and God brought it to your mind right now, get rid of it. It ain't doing it's not doing you any good. Let it go. Find the strength and the courage to to forget what people think because we all have something. But some of us want to keep it locked up and not acknowledge it. Come forward during this last song. Come forward and meet the Jesus who releases people. I'm about to go Baptist on you, but but I'm going to come back a little bit and just say amen. Go.